you talk about the incarnation and people think about that as the beginning of Jesus' life, they associate mm -hmm. that with the birth of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then there's the resurrection, they associate that with the death and the, the end of Jesus' life. But in fact, if you go to the deeper meaning, the two things really are saying the same thing because the incarnation says that God isn't someone out there, but God is someone who came in our midst, in the midst of our human condition. And to me, the resurrection says that, that Jesus is right in the midst of our human condition today. To you Never Walk Alone, Voices from the Episcopal Chaplaincy at Harvard. I'm Meredith Wade. And I'm Rita Powell. And today, we're sharing a conversation with brothers John and Emil from Tizay. Tizay is an ecumenical monastic community in rural France that focuses on international Christian fellowship and young adult formation. Every year, over 100,000 young people from countries all around the world pilgrimage to Tizay. Earlier this fall, brothers John and Emil visited the chaplaincy to offer a public forum and lead services. Rita and I sat down with them during their visit to go deeper into their beliefs, their approach to leadership, and how they try to embody the gospel today. The more that we are actually um, taking advantage of all of the mm -hmm. interesting and fabulous and thoughtful mm -hmm. people that kind of come through the chaplaincy, mm -hmm. that feels also like a way of deepening the overall conversation. Yeah. And I think that the, the brothers from Tizay, this is also, this is just, yeah, as you say, it's a different leadership model mm -hmm. in many ways. They, mm -hmm. in some ways, have the kind of authority of that clergy are sometimes afforded, but mm -hmm. everything about their manner and their dress, uh, even their presence, mm -hmm. is, um, is, works against... Uh, claiming authority mm, right or exactly. <laughs> acting in, in such a way that you would even know that they were right. brothers right. Right. or that you would know that today was an important place yeah. just by meeting them their their humility is very apparent in yes. their just their behavior and yes. in their conversation yes. um, I sometimes joke about the sort of priest to monk spectrum and they definitely I feel like embody that sort of I mean it's an exaggeration but that sort of like contrast in Ways, ways of being, ways of committing your life to faith and to spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. um, like theirs feels like such a, like you say, humble and like non-hierarchical mode of doing that. Um, but it's so deeply dedicated and so it feels so like deeply imbued in just like their way of life and way of moving through the world. And not to bring it to fashion, but... Oh my God. Oh, well, to bring it to fashion. <laughs> yes. Well, it's interesting. One idea about people making religious commitments is to mm -hmm. show forth that commitment in some visible mm -hmm. way, and, mm -hmm. you know, to make the interior visible in the exterior. And so there are uh, Christian monastic traditions who whose whose members, whose people who've made life commitments wear mm -hmm. habits, wear mm -hmm. some kind of visible dress. So you right. can see, oh, this guy has a brown habit on right. with a cross right. and this guy's got a black one with a kind of funny <laughs> drapey thing out right. in front or whatever. Right. These are different models. The brothers of today have a kind of unstated uniform, but it's definitely does not immediately read as monastic. No. It's like kind of old khakis <laughs> and a collared shirt and maybe a sweater over it. 
all in kind of a muted palette. Right, right. It's interesting because it is, upon realizing that it is some level of a kind of uniform, you can see it. But even at Tazay, you can't spot the brothers if you don't right. know that they're brothers. Right. Because they just are walking around. They blend in. <laughs> yes, they the blend in. <laughs> yes. yes. You know I was looking at their shoes yesterday. <laughs> um, and I actually, I did have this moment. So when we came to pick up Brother Emil on Monday, um, and I had no idea what he was going to look like, and I walked into the chaplaincy, and I had this moment of like, wait, whose dad is here visiting? <laughs> just because it's, it's just such yes. like, very like normal, intentional, like, like comfortable clothes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is, that is like interesting. That is like, that does have, carry some type of meaning because we're talking about today, we're not talking about all monastic communities, mm-hmm. right? There is something special um, that we're looking to about today that sets them apart, sets mm-hmm. like their approach, like their model, their mm-hmm. culture. Um, and I think that's, that's an example of, you know, something that distinguishes them from perhaps something like SSJE even. Mm-hmm. But I'll let the brothers speak for themselves. Here's our conversation with John and Emil. One of our questions that we keep asking is like the very basic questions of what does Christianity have to offer today? Mm-hmm. What is the gospel? How how do we actually how do we know what it is? How do we find it? And so I was thinking that maybe um, um, a to- that, that could be a topic that we began with is just kind of asking uh, John and Emil to reflect a little bit about how. Uh, how the Teze community is able to remain faithful to a, a process of trying to discover or live the gospel in some way. Okay, great. So just a little basic question to start us off. What's the gospel? How do we find it? <laughs> well, what I always say to the people at the beginning of the week in the first Bible introduction is that Christianity is a life, mm-hmm. not uh, not ideas about life or not a philosophy of life or something because what you look at the New Testament right what struck the, the people about the first Christians wasn't that they wrote good books or that they had great programs or something like that but that they were living in this way which was posed asked a question you know, people from very different backgrounds different languages different religions living together calling each other brother and sister sharing materially and spiritually praying together uh, you know, these kind of it was a big question for people. People weren't living like that, so I think that's the that's the first thing to say. It's a life, but the problem is today most Christians don't live apart from the rest of society. They live mm-hmm. in the middle of society. So how do you how do you discover and live that life? Um, and today we're lucky because we are we're not outside of the world, but we're uh, living together in a way. People who are committed, so we can kind of give a more maybe visible picture of that life. So if people mm-hmm. come for a few days, they at least get a sense of uh, uh, what this life could be in the different aspects, you know, what a type of life that it could be. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the word life as well, with a capital L, because no? mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's the message we, we try to carry. And, uh, it's all about resurrection. No? I was mm-hmm. telling someone earlier today, that's how I found my reconnected with my own faith with, by rediscovering that the resurrection is real and, uh, it's difficult to find words no, for, for these things that are far beyond us but but that's the essential message we carry is that death has been overcome in all the different mm. forms of death hmm? mm. and uh, 
And that's the life we talk about. That's the life we talk about, we try to live from, and that's where that's why communion is possible, that's why community is possible, it's because we are no longer caught prisoners of those snares of you know, those those compulsions of death. No, something else is possible. Something else is that's how we know we've gone from death to life, John says, mm. no, because we love. Because we love. No? And so but that has a foundation we don't often realize. What is the foundation of that? No, it's, it's really is the resurrection. Mm. So I feel like something that Rita and I have been struggling with a little bit in the last few weeks has been sort of that question of how, okay, but how do you practice that if you're not committing your life to living in a monastery or even pursuing ordination, I think um, makes it easier on some levels um, to practice that sort of approach to Christianity. Um, so I guess I'm sort of curious, like, how, especially because you all, you encounter a lot of different people staying at Tizay for like short periods of time and then sort of like going back to their normal, quote unquote, normal lives, right? So how do you sort of like see that in people? Um, how do you see them like taking that practice back with them? I like the word practice as well because mm. it was that great line of Wendell Berry, you know, practice resurrection. <laughs> practice resurrection, it becomes a lifestyle. You, know, you mm -hmm. can live as someone who is risen from the dead, it's already now that you can live that way. You don't have to live as a prisoner of, of your jealousy, for example. Or mm. your, you, you can, you can, you be freed from that. You, that doesn't mean you're not struggling with it, but you're freed from it. From it, and so, to practice it, I know when I read Paul, I see uh, Paul says it's you live as a risen person when you when you love, when you welcome, when you mm. share. No, that for him, those very humble things of patience, kindness, love, community, all of that is an expression of resurrection. Hmm. Okay, this is my question, though, on that. Uh, I don't... The resurrection is still very mysterious to me. Um, specifically, I don't... Even if I take the story and I say, okay, great, I believe it. I believe Jesus was raised from the dead. I don't exactly understand why that becomes the basis of of the possibility of hope for me, because I don't I the the witness of Jesus or the incarnation I could find ways to love people, I could find ways as you say I agree to kind of practice love in a way that makes me feel more alive than less so, but I don't totally get how the resurrection is the foundation of that honest question. <laughs> hmm. Well, it's because probably too many people think the resurrection is something that happened 2,000 years ago in Palestine. No? They think the resurrection means that, uh, that Jesus died and was buried in the tomb and, and, and then sort of woke up from the tomb, and that's the resurrection. Well, that's the first manifestation of the resurrection. That was the people needed to discover this is what happened. If, Jesus, if, they hadn't, if the women hadn't found the tomb empty and Jesus hadn't appeared, to his disciples, no one would know, right? But but the resurrection is is always in the present. The resurrection means that Jesus is alive. He's alive today. He's alive. He's with us. He's a reality in our present moment, not a reality of a human being out there, but a reality in, in a, a presence. A presence. I don't know. And um, and to me, that's what the resurrection is. That Jesus. That, I like that. It struck me as you know this expression that the. In Catholic theology, they used to talk about the Eucharist, the real presence. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, but that's a way of defining the resurrection. The resurrection mm -hmm. is the real presence of Christ, not, not just in the bread and wine, but the real presence of Christ in our, in our life today. And without that, uh, what gives us the, the strength, the power, the courage to live in a different way? If Jesus is just a, 
someone who lived 2,000 years ago that we can kind of say, well, he was a great example or something, then that's great, but where do I find the strength when things are falling apart all around me kind of thing, if he's not there today somehow? That's for me, I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah, we, we shouldn't um, give up on people who are not ready to receive the blessed resurrection. We walk with people as they are. No, and, and, but, uh, but Paul's statement, no, our faith is empty. Mm. No? Mm. First Corinthians 15, no, our faith is empty without the resurrection. I think I've always taken that very seriously. And I've, I've always read Dostoevsky my whole life. I've always... And, when Dostoevsky imagines the believer of the future, the, the believer of the century or centuries to come, that's what he had in mind, is that people would carry that message of the resurrection. You remember the ending of the Brothers Karamazov, you know, the child, the children are around the tomb of a little boy who has just died, right? and they ask Alyosha Karamazov, the one who's the young monk, the one who carries this message, Karamazov, is it true that we will all rise again? You know, and see each other. And Alyosha says, yes, it's true. And we'll tell each other everything that happened. And it's a wonderful response because it's, it's a way of saying the human story is important. We'll tell each other what happened. It's not that resurrection kind of cancels out everything you lived as human beings, but everything you live that is compatible with love has a future. I kind of think that makes a big difference. Hmm. If you believe that everything you've lived that is compatible with love has a future, I think that, that, that there's a source of joy in that. Hmm. I was just thinking that um, just struck me that again in the in the traditional portrayal of the creed, like in the creed, we we talk about the incarnation and people think about that as the beginning of Jesus's life. They associate mm -hmm. that with the birth of Jesus, mm -hmm. and then there's the resurrection. They associate that with the death and the, the end of Jesus's life. But in fact, if you go to the deeper meaning, the two things really are saying the same thing because the incarnation says that God isn't someone out there, but God is someone who came in our midst, in the midst of our human condition. And to me, the resurrection says that, that Jesus is right in the midst of our human condition today. So in a way, mm -hmm. you know, if you go beyond the, we have to use images, but if you go beyond the images, I think they're pointing to the same mystery. I, don't know. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. Um, the incarnation, for some reason, is yeah, has been easier because I've definitely been inclined to locate the resurrection as a thing that happened, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and then and and kind of a thing that we're waiting for. Mm -hmm. And when I hear people use it in the present, for me, it loses some of its. It feels a bit vague or general, like when people say it's like spring, you know, mm -hmm. and every mm -hmm. year the resurrection is comes again and it's really just it's just like the seasons or something like that i love the seasons also but for me that's been a challenge and so i'm wondering now if this question about locating the resurrection back with the sort of historical time of life of christ i wonder maybe if you can say something also about this idea of the real presence okay if christ is with us now does that mean does that mean when we discover a presence we can call that presence christ or another way of asking um, how does the Christ who is resurrected and present relate to the guy Jesus in Nazareth? Like who was like a, who was a specific guy, and that guy is not here. He's not having coffee with us. So some some someone is here. <laughs> how do we know it's yeah? How do we know it's Jesus? How do we know it's Christ? How does this? I, I could use well, some help on could, this. Uh, you could maybe ask the question also. 
is the incarnation over. Okay, nice. <laughs> because okay. The, ascension, the ascension is not the end of the incarnation, but it's mm. the beginning of a new body, right? Mm. So there's a new body of Christ. Mm. And so instead of seeing it as the end, it's more the extension, hmm? mm. the universal extension of, of that body. And, and, uh, mm. and so I think that's how Paul speaks of the body, huh? the, body of, the body of Christ. It's, uh, it's where you find the life of life of Jesus, the life of the risen Jesus, it's there, and so uh, it's somehow incarnated. You have to correct one image with the other, no? So, mm-hmm. it's, yes, it is the body, but it's also the bride, <laughs> so to keep a little bit of distinction, no? Mm-hmm. And it's necessary not to not to think that you're saying everything once you've said body, no? Uh, those, all those images have a meaning, because one without the other would be too pretentious. We, we are the body of Christ, no? No, we are. <laughs> There's a vis-a-vis, no? We have a vis-a-vis also there. We have mm. to, we're accountable also to what we do, mm. for what we do. Uh, but I like to think of the of the ascension of Jesus, uh, resurrection, ascension, not as a continuation in a way, not not as a removal of the incarnate Christ, but the incarnate Christ's body extends to to the whole universe. Mm. But uh, the question you asked, I think, is you put your finger on the very key. Um, Almost on the very key center of the good news that the in the first letter of John said that's what the first letter of John is all about, right? There were these people who were dissociating Jesus of Nazareth and Christ and all, and we still have that today a bit in certain things, you know, like well Jesus was good. He he gave us an example or he pointed the way, but now we've discovered the truth and we can we don't need Jesus anymore, no? And uh, and John says it that's the that's like the the heart of the matter, if you separate Jesus and, and the Jesus who lived as a human being and the Christ who we are, of whom we are the body and so on, you kind of completely, he calls them antichrists, they're the antichrists, they're the ones who separate the, the two, but, but, but how do you know? Or how did I, I think that's, that's what the message is, that's what the message is, that, this, that that's the way God chose to transform the world not by some sort of general thing but by one by becoming incarnate in one human being which became the, the starting point for this this whole which was prepared for many many centuries and then became the starting point for this this new body so mm-hmm. to speak I don't know can you say mm-hmm. maybe someone else can say it better but <laughs> but you're right I think that's the key question you know that the, the, the identity between Jesus of Nazareth and the and the risen Christ or the Christ of the cosmic Christ or whatever we want to call him mm-hmm. And it's it's totally non non rational, not irrational, but in the sense that why would anyone make that link between a, an individual person and this 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 completely you know all, um, what do you call universal reality? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's. I mean, we're gonna get we we should get ourselves back into where we started in terms of a way of life. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it becomes urgent for me because I say okay. I, I, you know, I've understood, I've read the texts, I know that God loves me and I is, is somehow looking for my response of love in return. Great. So I wish to love, uh, I wish to love God and in Christ. And then I think about, for me, the human experience of love is very much contained in the kind of particularities of a day. It's like knowing knowing whether or not someone takes cream in their coffee is a part of what it means to love someone is to kind of know a certain look that they'll have after you've said a certain thing and those things are not available to us um in that way and that's part of where it becomes 
you know, curious to me. I can hold the idea together a little bit and accept that there is a Jesus of Nazareth and there is a cosmic Christ. But when it comes to actually figuring out what it means to love that reality, then I'm a bit, I'm a little confused. Is it in all people? Is it just if I'm any, anyone whose habits I know and love is me loving Christ? Is that, but that doesn't feel quite the same because that feels like, well, you're not Jesus of Nazareth, you're Meredith. (laughs) So I'm, you know, so this is also where it becomes maybe, maybe your practice of life and community today is intended to be a response to this in some way. I don't know. Well, and I would, I would even push that like a step further because I think there are people whom I, it's easy to love and like people for whom it's, I don't know, it's not right. Like I think it's, it's a lot easier to practice those things. Like if, if we're considering that to be a response to the love of the cosmic Christ, it's a lot easier to do that with someone that you're friends with or a partner or people in your family perhaps. But maybe they're, you know, you have like a super annoying coworker or, you know, they're like strangers in the world whom like, like I, I feel like part of Christianity is being called to love people you don't necessarily like or like even have like that much of a relationship with. Yes. Um, so I'm curious, sort of like, what yeah. what does that look like? What, well, Meredith, what are what we being asked doing, about there? What you're doing is quoting the Sermon on the Mount, right? Right. <laughs> That's true. It's Matthew, right? It's so, yeah. so it's, it's, what is the kingdom? Is it mm. an event mm. that is going to happen soon? It happens all over the kingdom. Or is it about personal transformation where you love people who don't love you and you're able to do that? Mm. And some people say Matthew couldn't make up his mind. No? Mm. It's an event, or it's mm. a, but actually Matthew understood that the kingdom enters into this world by people who are transformed. Mm. No? They, they, their capacity to love grows, no? it increases, mm. and so those people become signs no? of God's life. No? Those people become signs, so they, they live this transformation, they, not triumphantly because it's never accomplished, it's never fully mm. done, no? but, but they become signs that yes, God is able, love is able to enter our lives. We become able to love. It's the first letter of John again, no? We become able to love. And that's 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 how you recognize it. That's how you put it into practice. No? Mm. I was thinking pract the word practice, I like it too, because it says it talks about a life and a certain stru- uh, structure of your life. But we have to remember that it's all it's also a gift so that uh, it's something we have to we discover we have to be open to so if you ask me where is 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 it it loving your friends is it loving strangers well you know it's the it's like in the the parable of the good samaritan it's the person you meet you know by the side of your road that maybe can open you up to this to this new reality if you look at them in the right way The, the 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 priest and the levite looked at them as they were afraid because they would they would become racially impure so as soon as they saw them they they made a, a circle around, right? Mm. And the Samaritan sees him and doesn't have a particular faith, but he sees somebody in need and he he's, he's opens up to, to that person, that kind of brother, you know? So then the gospel becomes present. The, the reality of God becomes present. So it's it's partly, I guess one of the practices is this 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 mindfulness, to use a word that's mm. a little bit in, the, in fashion today, this being being open to where God is at work in, in front of us, you know? In many different and strange ways. Mm-hmm. We have a wonderful new icon at Tizzy. We have a number of icons in our church. There's the resurrection, there's, there's nativity, there's transfiguration. But we have one that is the icon of mercy. It's precisely the uh, parable that John was talking about, the Good mm-hmm. Samaritan. You know, where there's the Levite, the Levite. And at the end, there, there are these scenes that surround the, the Christ of mercy. And at the end, you see three people around a table.
Mm-hmm. Yeah? And and uh, and it says something powerful. It says that it's, it's the Trinity, huh? it's the Trinity. But the three, it, it, the image of God has been restored by someone who is practicing mercy, who loves. That means the image of God, the, the Trinity, be, becomes a reality. Huh? Mm-hmm. Someone, so it's not at all abstract. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, these teachings can be so abstract sometimes on the Trinity, but there, obviously, huh? the, the, the one who wrote the icon saw that. Know, that's when we are in the image of God. So it's it's mm. it's what we've been saying since the beginning. It's a, it's a way of, of living. Mm. And just to get really concrete with the sort of way of living piece of it, um, can you talk a little bit about the sort of structures and practices that you have at today that sort of help you open up? Mm. Well, at the center is of course the the prayer together, common mm. prayer, and all three times a day. And and I always say it's more important than. Yeah, what we do when we get to church is the fact that three times a day everything stops, everyone drops what they're doing, work, relaxation, whatever, mm-hmm. eating, and goes to the church. You know? And so it's saying that the meaning of our life is in this relationship with this mystery we call God, um, and that that's what keeps us on the even keel, so to speak, and the fact of doing it together. So already what, what brings us all together in Teze and all our diversity is this call three times a day to stand before God. So that's the first thing. And yeah, and then living together, you learn. Love is something we learn, right? Who knows how to love? We learn it. We learn it through our limitations. We learn it through our failures. We, we learn as we bump against the reality. <laughs> and, and we might think love is that I failed. Huh? No, that's when you start to learn. No, you start to learn that, that you don't have what it takes in you to love with infinite love and infinite patience. You, and so, so just by living together, I think we learn. Right? And, and, uh, I'm, I'm personally concerned with that sometimes, how quickly discouragement comes for people mm. who try to live the gospel because they think it's, it's going to happen now, like very quickly, very easily. I'm going to be able to love everyone. I'm going to be able to... But no, it's not like that. Right? And so mm. we, we, we shouldn't be afraid of... We shouldn't see these, these experiences where we experience our limitations as the end of the story, but it's, it's, it's part of the story. Mm. Anything else you guys feel like you'd... Didn't get to say in this <laughs> particular line of discussion. Teze, our life at Teze is a life where we welcome many thousands of young adults mm-hmm. every, every week and tens of thousands of people every year. I think when you welcome young adults, you're you're welcoming people who are wondering what is the meaning. They haven't finished their life. They mm-hmm. haven't lived their whole life. They're wondering what is ahead. How can how can I my life have meaning? How can it be a good life? How can it be a meaningful life? And, and that's a great gift to, to, to see people searching with intensity often because people mm-hmm. do search with intensity. And sometimes they see that in order to find those answers, I have to go deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, the silence that is at the heart of the prayer to say is often the scariest part for mm-hmm. people who come the first time when they experience mm-hmm. the silence. Say, oh, maybe this is not for me. No. And, it, and the same people often say it's their favorite part at the end of the week mm-hmm. no, because they, they discover that they are able to, to search and, and that we trust them, that God trusts them, that other people trust them. We sit. No one has a method. No one knows exactly the way, but we we dare to 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 search to be open. And, uh, it's really about hope. It's about hope, and there's nothing that gives me greater joy than to see how some faces at Tizay, when people arrive, their faces are sometimes very somber. And mm-hmm. None of them carry heavy questions, burdens. Young people mm-hmm. carry burdens. They seem maybe very joyful all the time, but they often carry questions that pull them towards discouragement and, and to see a face open up to hope 
it's a, a very very good choice. Mm. Yeah, just very simply, the, talking about this real presence of Christ in our midst, and probably the two clearest signs of that are joy and hope. No, I think when people experience those things, then there's a sense that life goes on, and life is stronger than death, and love is stronger than hatred, and that's the message I think that we, the gospel gives us. Mm. Just thinking about us as a young adult ministry. Um, oh no, Rita here. What does that face mean? Please keep coming. Um, no, I was just I was just thinking about um, sort of yeah, like it is it is like a specific set of needs. Um, I think from my perspective, and I think um, similar to what I understand today is like I think there's sort of an important calling to like make space for people in a lot of different relationships with faith, like who are exploring meaning, but you know, aren't necessarily fully committed to one particular faith identity or, you know, like we've had people um, come to the chaplaincy from a lot of different sort of like backgrounds and different sort of levels of commitment to being Episcopalian or even being Christian overall. Um, so I'm sort of like curious how you all navigate that. And I think you have the added sort of level of difficulty of having folks from so many different cultures and language barriers and all of these things. I feel like I want to say something based yeah. on reading, this is just reading Brother Roger and uh, sources of Tizay. You know, he, the first two, I think it's the first two kind of ideas that come in the book. Mm -hmm. The first one is to say that some kind of desire for a presence mm -hmm. is, is, is a beginning, mm -hmm. is a real beginning. And I, I love that very much, both for myself, but also because I feel like that is a way of making space for all kinds of mm -hmm. all kinds of people and all kinds of religious traditions, all kinds of paths. But to say that the beginning, a, a kind of real beginning, is a, is a kind of longing or desire, I think that's very good. I, I like that very much. Mm -hmm. I, that feels like it makes a lot of space. Um, but then I think the very second one is to say that Christ never forces our hand. Mm -hmm. So this idea that it's never, uh, one, faith is never about a kind of um, aggressive act on the part of God or, or anyone uh, acting as witness to God, you know, that, that it would be, there's no place, there's no room in love for violence is what I take that second thing to mean. And so those, to me, those are part of my experience of today that, that, that have made me feel at home and I think have made some others feel at home. But. Well, we're luck lucky. We're, we're fortunate because... Um, there's a community of, of brothers who have made this life commitment to follow Christ, so it's it's very clear what's at the at the center of our life, uh, even though we do it as we can with all our limits. But mm -hmm. the, the commitment is there, and then a welcome, which is as wide as possible. You know, you don't ask. We never ask anyone who comes what they believe in, mm -hmm. or to or say this is you know if you don't believe this or if you don't believe this or if you're not a Christian. You know. So we want there's a kind of universal welcome but a very clear identity and that I think is hard to find mm -hmm. you know either you find places where they're very open to everyone but there's no real identity or you find places who are saying well to come into our little group you have to subscribe to all these beliefs or something so it's a kind of closed group and I don't know how that can play itself out that's because of our particular situation as a monastic community we're not asking everybody to become monks but everybody can be welcomed by us but I don't know how that plays out in a congregation or in mm. a, ca a campus ministry or something, but I think that's a search. You know, how do you put together a very clear center and a very open welcome? Mm. Mm. 
words for the Episcopal Church. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wherever we are, at, wherever we're at, in, in, we're all called to grow, right? We're all mm. called to grow. Right? It doesn't mean because we can recite the creed by heart that we've made it. Right? Right. No, we, we, we're all called to grow. And so I think we can walk with many people who accept to grow, no? mm. accept to grow, accept that we have lots of discoveries. Every one of us has. A, Brother Roger, our founder, uh, used to say, Ah, oh, we're at the beginning. At the end of his life, he used to say, oh, they're, they're at the beginning, no? They're at the beginning. And it's wonderful when you're 90 years old, you can say, we're just at the beginning, no? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just at the beginning. So there was no no spiritual pretension that we are mm-hmm. we've made close mm-hmm. to God because we've... But no, you can learn from someone who's never been in the church. You can learn from... Uh, but we're all called to grow. So... The, the desire for authenticity, for example, which is very strong, I find, in many young adults today, mm. the desire for something authentic. There are all kinds of other people also, but many people are interested in that. We are called to dialogue with that, no? mm. to dialogue with that. If people are searching for authenticity, they will eventually be led to say, but this life centered on my belly button is not really what it's all about. No? <laughs> no? And so they will start to discover community. They will start mm. to discover what it means to... to love even those you who don't love you and mm. there will be something that will lead them further on no? and so that's the way I would see that call to walk with many people okay thank you I think we should we should sing something because we said think confite me is a good one yes are you started confite me domino joining us for this episode of You Never Walk Alone. This podcast is created and edited by myself and the Reverend Rita Powell. Our theme song was written and produced by Aidan Stoddart. If you'd like to learn more about the chaplaincy, what we do, and how you can support us, you could follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Harvard Episcopalians, or check out our website, harvardepiscopalians.org. If you're local to Boston, you can experience Tizay-style services on the first Tuesday of every month at the Swedenborg Chapel in Harvard Square, or Sunday nights during the academic year at the MIT Chapel. We'll catch you next time on You Never Walk Alone. Mm-hmm.